we have a packed house. Turn around and look around. It's like, wow. Um, you know, it's not exactly standing room only in here yet, but I'm, I'm very pleased. I'm glad that you're here. I just popped my head out, out back under the pavilion. I have no idea if there's anybody out there. It was like this, this fog of vapor. It was like gorillas in the mist. It was, uh, nice and cool out there, but I, I, I saw a couple of people kind of waving. No idea who they were. Um, so if you're watching out in the pavilion, I hope you can see me through all the uh, cool vapor. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we've cooled the pavilion, and it's, it's nice. Um, we're going to up that even more by getting some new fans. Our fans are about 20 years old, and um, we'll, uh, we'll start circulating that. So hopefully it'll even get better out there. And I know many of you are joining us online from your living room. And um, I hope that, I hope your air conditioner is working, or you'd probably be here. Uh, so we're glad that you are uh, tuning in as well. I'm very excited because, look, it's no secret, right? 2020 has been one of the most challenging years in any of our lives. Probably I've heard more people say, this has been the hardest year of my life ever. I'm like, yeah, no kidding, you know, pandemic, all this stuff. You got a pandemic, you got protests, you got polarizing politics. Uh, Many people have been struggling because this is enough to make a lot of people just feel like giving up. It's been discouraging on so many fronts. So I want to start a brand new series today called Faith Works. This changes everything. If you've got your program, go ahead and grab that and open it up to the outline inside. You can see we've got a lot to cover. And if you're watching online, um, we sent you an email at 8 o'clock. You can click on, download a PDF, or you can just use it on your device. It's interactive. You can fill it in right on your device if you'd like to do it that way. I want us to learn how to develop a faith that works when life doesn't seem to work all that well, like now. Life may suck, but if we have strong faith, it will see us through no matter what is thrown our way. How do we do that? How can we build up a stronger faith? Where can we go to learn what a strong what a faith that works really looks like. I want to introduce you to the book of James. James is one of my favorite books. We're going to go through James together over the next several months. You heard me say that right, months, not just weeks. There's so much packed into the book of James. There's so much to help us grow a faith that works for really any stage of our life or any circumstances of our life. We need a faith that works today, don't we? Would you agree? I like the book of James because it's so practical. I'm a practical person. I'm like, yeah, 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 that all sounds good, but what's that look like? How how do you do that? You know, how's that going to help me today? I'm very practical. Um, James is very practical. You're going to see that James deals with topics. I mean... James was written a couple thousand years ago, but he deals with topics that are still relevant to us today. Like how to deal with problems. You got any of those? Like how to make decisions. Like how to handle temptations. Like how to treat people right. I wish everybody would be here for that. Like 
how to control our mouth. Okay, everybody should be here for that one instead. How to avoid arguments. He didn't even have Facebook and he wrote about this. Are you kidding me? How to be wise. How to handle money. How to pray. How to have great relationships. He's so practical. But I have to warn you a little. James can be pretty blunt. Um, he's not a coddler. He, he can kind of get in your face and say, suck it up, buttercup. Okay? He, he's not a feel-good hand-holder kind of uh, writer. But don't you worry, I'm a big softie. Okay, I'm going to break this down for us in a way that is an encouragement to you. You're not going to go out here feeling like I'm lower than a worm. I believe we can do this. I believe in you. I believe in God at work in you. God wants to help you develop a faith that works. And if you'll cooperate with him, this will change everything. So let's get started. If you've got your outline, all the scripture we're going to use are going to be on the side screens. It'll be on the bottom of the screen if you're watching from home. Without a doubt, probably the number one cause of problems in the world, I believe, is immaturity. I've counseled dozens and dozens of of couples about marriage issues. I don't do hardly any marriage counseling anymore, but I used to do a lot. The number one problem in almost all marriages is people just need to grow up. Did I say that nice enough? James isn't going to be as nice. People act immature. We get ourselves into all kinds of problems because of our immaturity. We say immature things. We make immature decisions. We act in immature ways. We just need to grow up. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to tell people that. Now, I didn't tell them because I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be nice, and I'm not like James. But I, I was like, man, I just like to tell that girl, that guy. I just like to tell them, grow up. God's will is for every one of us to grow up. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Let us go on instead and become mature. Circle that word mature. Because I want to talk about the, the marks of a mature person today. <clears throat> God says grow up. That's why one of the purposes of our church, we're a purpose-driven church, is to help everyone grow spiritually, emotionally, mentally, in every way. The reason we're spending so much time, treasure, and effort to send our students to the beach isn't so they can catch a wave and play some kickball or have some fun, so they can grow in their faith. When we pull away, even if it's together, we pull away and we focus on growing, we can have a balanced Christian life. That's what God wants for all of us. So what is maturity? How do we know when we have arrived at maturity? How mature are you? If I were to, <laughs> if I were to have you write down on a scale of 1 to, I don't know, 25, how mature do you think you are? 1 being, man, I'm a, I'm a big crybaby. I, I haven't grown up at all. I'm an infant. To... 25, I'm, I'm like Billy Graham's cousin, you know. I'm just, you know, 
I'm not going to ask you to write the number down. There's no blank for you to write the number down. I didn't want you to write the number down because no husband wants to sit next to a wife and write that number down. Right? Those of you who are sitting individually at your own chair by, all by yourself, if you want to write a number down, you can. Scale of 1 to 25, how, how, how mature are you? Hmm. Well, let's look at first what maturity is not. We feel he's in. Maturity is not age. Maturity is not age. It has nothing to do with how long we've lived or how long we've been a Christian. Um, you, can, you can be a Christian for 50 years and still not be mature. I've met some of those. I, I saw a bumper sticker. I remember a bumper sticker from years ago that I saw one time that says, I may be getting older, but I refuse to grow up. Some of you might even have that bumper sticker still on an old car. I've seen some 50- and 60-year-old children, babies, because maturity has nothing to do with our age. Now, granted, God's ideal is that the, as we grow older chronologically, that we will also grow more mature. That's God's ideal, but that's not always the case, as we all know. Maturity is not appearance either. We fill that in, maturity is not appearance. Some people just look mature. Some people just look more spiritual than the rest of us, don't they? They just look kind of dignified. They look sort of holy. The rest of us, kind of tough luck, right? I don't look dignified or holy. I'm okay with that. Because the fact is, you can look real spiritual and not be spiritual at all. It has nothing to do with appearance. Third thing, maturity is not achievement. It has nothing to do with what we accomplish. We can accomplish a lot and still be very immature. I've met a lot of successful people who are also very immature. You don't have to be mature to make millions and millions. Good grief, just look at some of our athletes, our entertainment figures. Maturity is not achievement. Fourth thing maturity is not, maturity is not academics. It has nothing to do with how many degrees we've gotten. Nothing to do with how many degrees. It has nothing to do with how much education we've gotten. Were you like me? When I graduated from high school, thought I knew everything. Then I went to college and realized, oh, maybe I don't know so much anymore. Then I went on to seminary. Started thinking, I don't know if I know anything at all. It seemed like the farther I went, the less I knew. Look, you can have so many degrees, they call you Dr. Fahrenheit. But it doesn't make you mature. You'll get that later. God says, God says maturity is determined by my attitude. Will you fill that in? Maturity is determined by my attitude. Attitude is what makes the difference. Attitude is really our character. D.L. Moody says character is what you are in the dark. Character is who you are when no one else is around. Recognition is what people say about us. Character is what God says about us. God says our attitude determines whether we're mature or not. God wants us to grow up and have Christ-like attitudes. So how do we measure spiritual maturity? Tough 
you know, they got those infrared thermometers now, you know, where they can zap your head and go, yep, you're allowed to come into Disney, or yep, you're allowed to come into the restaurant, or you're allowed, some of you have to do that to go to work every day. Wouldn't it be great if you had a, an infrared maturity meter when you could just kind of sneak, sneak up on people when they weren't looking to, well, yeah, that's what I was thinking, you know. I knew it, right? There, there is no infrared maturity meter. Oh, that would sell. How do we measure spiritual maturity? Well, here, we don't measure spiritual maturity by comparing ourselves to everyone else. That's kind of what we do. We're like, well, I'm more mature than him. I'm, I'm obviously more mature than her. No. We have to compare ourselves to the Word of God. In the book of James, we have a manual on maturity. The word mature in Greek comes from the word teleos. You don't have to, there's not a quiz, you don't have to, but it's, it's translated mature, complete, or perfect. We're going to see it used as perfect in this next verse. James uses this word five times in five chapters. The book of James, all five chapters, is kind of like a manual on how to develop mature faith. How to become mature. And James gives us five marks of maturity. <clears throat> the first one I want you to jot down is that a mature person, the five marks of maturity, how do I know if I'm mature? Well, number one, a mature person is positive under pressure. Positive under pressure. Now, be a positive term, didn't it? Now, they're giving tests to everybody. You don't want to be positive. You want to be negative. Okay, right? Really, they should change that. You, you should go on and take your test, and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, it's negative. You're, you're going to have to be quarantined. It's messing with my head. Oh, you're positive. Well, that's good. No, that's really bad. A mature person is positive, in a good way, under pressure. James 1 Verse 2 to 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an, an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect or mature and complete, needing nothing. So how do we handle trials in our life? That's the question. Well, are we facing a test now or what? The first test of maturity is how do we react to problems? Do they blow us away? Do we get all nervous and uptight every time there's a problem? Do we get negative all the time? Do we grumble? Do we gripe? Christianity is a life. It's not a religion. It's a life. Jesus said, I come that you might have life. Life means problems. And part of life means solving problems and facing problems with the right attitude. So what is your natural attitude? What is your natural bent? When things don't go wrong, do you get irritated like I do? Are you negative or are you positive? 
Well, Jerry, I'm positive. I'm positive. Things are going to go terrible. You know, that's not positive. Are you basically a supportive person or are you a skeptical person? Is your life filled with gratitude or grumbling? Oh, man, these are not fair questions. Are you affirmative most of the time or angry most of the time? How do we handle problems? Let's rate ourselves on this. Now this, you're going to rate yourself and you're going to not correct your spouse. Okay? So when, when your spouse puts on a number, down a number that is obviously too high, you can make your case and prove your point. Don't nudge him. Don't go, <laughs> don't, you know, don't scoff. Don't laugh out loud, LOL, okay? Um, how do I rate myself on how do I react to problems? Am I calm and trusting God through the problems? Give yourself a five. Do I overreact and blow up at every little thing like your pastor? Give yourself a one. James 1.12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Man. You got to circle that word patiently. I'm sorry. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. We can be great in the knowledge of the Bible and still be cantankerous as all get out. Have you noticed that some of the most religious people are also some of the, the meanest people? What's up with that? Are we positive under pressure? All right, let's move on. I'm sure it's going to get better. <laughs> Number two, a mature person is sensitive to people. A mature person is sensitive to people. <clears throat> James 2.8 says, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> a mature person is sensitive to other people. He doesn't just see his own needs. He sees other people's needs. She just doesn't see her own hurts. She sees other people's hurts. They're not just interested in themselves. Children, when they're immature, they see only themselves. The toddler's creed. It's mine. Mine, mine, mine. If you have it and I want it, it's mine. If I used to have it, now yeah, it's mine. Toddlers are self-centered by nature. They're immature. And some of us never stop toddling. Because when we see what we want, when we want what we want, when we want what we want, we don't care about anybody else. God says that love, being interested in others, is a mark of maturity. And James gets very specific in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, he talks about don't show, don't show favoritism, don't, don't be a snob, don't look down on people, don't judge other people's appearance, don't insult people, don't exploit people. The second test of maturity is how do we treat other people? Paul said, look, if I win all kinds of people to the Lord, if I build great church buildings, if I give lots of money to the poor, but if I have not love, I'm just a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. That just doesn't amount to much. So let's rate ourselves on this one. How do I treat other people? Am I thinking of others? 
all the time, give myself a five if I never think of others. I should give myself a one, but I probably won't because I'm only thinking about myself, so I'll give myself a three. How do I rate on treating others? It's interesting. In Matthew 25, Jesus is talking about the judgment. And Jesus says at the judgment, people are going to stand before him, and God's going to say, Jesus is going to say, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was sick, and I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the people will say, when, Lord? When did we do that? When were you sick or in prison and we visited you? When were you hungry and we fed you? When were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? And Jesus says, in so much as you did this to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And what's interesting to me about this, this judgment, this glimpse at the judgment in Matthew 25, is the one thing we're going to be judged on is how we treat other people. Not how many Bible verses we memorize. Now, I keep telling you, we should read our Bible. James would be a good place to start. But it doesn't matter how many Bible studies I've been through, how many scripture I've memorized, how great of a reputation I have. It's how we treat other people. That's what God is going to judge us on. Third, number three. Um, oh, Maybe we should just stay on number two for a while. <clears throat> because a mature person has mastered his or her mouth. All right, let's just skip to number four. I'm only kidding. Can't do that. James 3, verse 2. In fact, a whole lot of James 3 is about the mouth. It says, if we stumble in many ways. Well, that's an understatement. Nobody's perfect. We all stumble. If we, if we all stumble in many ways, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. One of the first things they do when you go see a doctor, has anybody gone to see a doctor? Everybody's afraid to go to the doctor right now. <clears throat> Some of you have been forced to see a doctor. One of the first things you do when you go for a checkup is they say, stick out your tongue. And they take a stick and they put it on your tongue and they push it down so they can get a really good look. My doctor usually starts asking me questions about that point. So, how you doing? Think the Dolphins have a chance this year? And I go, oh, you know, why do they do that? So my doctor checks my mouth to check my health. God does the same thing spiritually. He says, you want to see whether you're mature or not? Look at your mouth. World War II, there was a saying, <clears throat> I don't know if we have anybody that can remember this saying, loose lips, oh, some of you are old. <laughs> loose lips sink ships, meaning loose lips can cost lives, can destroy lives. They hurt people. The words we say, and if I can take a little license, I think that this is applicable as well. Not only the words we say, but the words we type into the comment section of Facebook. It's called comments. Or that we tweet. The words that we say, type, or tweet can wreck our lives. Def the definition of gossip is hearing something you really like about somebody you really don't like. Self-control, James says is mouth control, tongue control. 
We get ourselves in so much trouble on what we say, what we think, and what we speak. And James chapter 3 gives us several illustrations. He says that our tongue is like a rudder. It's like a bit in a horse's mouth. It's like a spark. It's like a snake. And it's like a spring. Not like a bouncy spring, but a water spring. He says... You put a little bit in a horse's mouth and you can control the whole horse of where it goes. He says you put a little rudder on a ship and the little rudder can control the direction of the entire ship. Our tongue is very small in comparison to the rest of our, of our body, but it can control the direction of our life. Reminds me of a story my pastor used to say. It was more of a joke. He says, yeah, a lady came up front back then when they had those altar call services. A lady came all the way up front and says, Pastor, I just want to lay my tongue on the altar. And he says, well, ma'am, it's only six feet long, but we'll do the best we can. Okay? <laughs> I know, everybody laughed at that joke. I don't remember what, much of what. <laughs> six feet long, yep. Our tongue, a size is insignificant. But the impact that it has on our lives is amazingly huge. Our tongue is a powerful force for good or evil. Have you ever heard anyone say, I just say what's on my mind? Yep. They're kind of proud of it, aren't they? Nobody ever says, I just say what's on my mind. <laughs> no, no, they're proud of that. I just say what's on my mind, right? I'm I'm frank. I'm up front, you know. I'm just being honest kind of a thing. You know, maybe there's not a whole lot on their mind. Hmm. Or maybe what's on their mind shouldn't be said out loud. The Bible says that's not frankness. It's immaturity. And a lot of people, maybe even a lot of us, we need a dose of tactfulness. Ephesians, oops, yep, Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Boy, that could be a verse for some of us to memorize. Watch what we say. Watch what we comment on. You don't have to comment on everything on your news feed. I know some, some people don't realize that. It's not a requirement. Watch what we type. When, when we talk, don't use things that only build ourselves up, but say things that build other people up instead. And if it doesn't build other people up, the Bible says don't say it. Even if it's the truth. If it doesn't build up, don't say it. That's a mark of maturity. A mature person manages his or her mouth. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. If we can't master our mouth, we've missed the point. James 1.26 says, If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. See what I mean? How you can kind of get in your face, suck it up, buttercup. If you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself. Then you drop the bomb. Your religion is worthless. That means that I, if I've memorized a thousand verses, 
And I never miss a church service. But if I'm a gossip, if I'm always tearing people down, if I'm so argumentative, then my religion, my Christian faith, is worthless. If I'm always saying things that aren't accurate, if I'm always exaggerating or I'm speaking impulsively, then my faith walk is worthless. So the test of maturity is to manage our mouth so no corrupt communication, no negative talk comes out of our mouth. Oh, let's, let's, would you rather rate the person next to you on this one? Is that just better? Yeah, no way, right? Well, let's rate ourselves on this one. Oh, one, everybody's quitting like, I'm not rating anymore. I'm just going to take a zero, Jerry. Um, how do I manage my mouth on a one to a five? How do I manage my communication? Now, I have good news for you because, as you can, you might have already been able to see, there's five chapters in James. We've got five points to this message. I'm giving you the recap of each chapter, okay? So... If you're like, man, I really need some help on my mouth, when he gets into chapter 3, that's the week for you to start coming. If you're like, I'm not going to manage my mouth no matter what, that's the week to plan your vacation, okay? You can click, you can click on Facebook. Everybody will think you're watching, but you can go do whatever you want. The Bible does say to speak the truth in love. Love means the right attitude, the right timing, the right place, the right location, the right motive. The Bible is very practical. It says that it doesn't matter how much we know of the Bible, if our attitude isn't like Christ's attitude, we're missing the point. That's the nicer way to say that. All right, number four. <clears throat> yes, these are getting better and better. In chapter four, it's going to be about this. A mature person is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. We're either a peacemaker or we're a troublemaker. James starts talking about quarrels in chapter 4. Verse 1, it says, What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Do you think our nation needs to hear this, that whole chapter right now? What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that were within you? He's talking about conflict. He says, there's an inner quarreling going on. There are fights that are going on within ourselves with our own internal desires. We want our way and we don't get our way. We covet, we can't have. We quarrel, we fight. We have not, he goes on to say, because we don't ask God. Am I a peacemaker or am I a troublemaker? Do I like to argue? Am I a contentious person? Do my feelings get hurt all the time? Do I get defensive easily? Do I hurt other people's feelings? Am I a peacemaker or a troublemaker? The mark of a mature person is a lack of conflict in his own life. Paul told the Corinthians, in fact, chapter after chapter in the book of Corinthians, Paul basically says, you guys are a bunch of babies. Paul was also blunt, by the way. They are arguing about everything in the Corinthian church. They argued about the Lord's Supper. They argued about spiritual gifts. They argued about leadership. They argued about everything. There's still churches like this today. They argue, argue, argue about everything. That's a mark of immaturity. You guys are a bunch of babies. Why is there so much conflict in the world? Why is there so much conflict in our family? Why is there so much conflict 
in my marriage? Why is there so much conflict where I work? Why is there so much conflict on my social media feed? Facebook and Twitter. Why is there so much conflict between me and a former friend or former neighbor? Why is there so much conflict between me and another Christian? Why is there so much conflict between me and God? Why is there conflict? James 4.3 And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James says there's two reasons for conflict. The first cause of conflict is selfishness. No surprise there. When I want what I want, when I want it, I'm going to have conflict with a lot of people. The issue is really pride. How do you know if a person is immature? One way you can tell is look at the prayer life. Are all the prayers always about me? Me, me, me. Bless me. Help me. Give to me, me, me. Always self-centered. Prosper me. Protect me. Me, me, me. There's nothing wrong with making your prayer request known to God and asking Him. Some people, they don't ever pray for me. It's like, I don't ever pray for myself. Well, you have not because you ask not. We're going to talk about prayer a lot in this series. But if all of your prayer is all about you, there might be a selfishness problem there. Proverbs 13.10 says pride leads to conflict. Almost all conflict is ego and pride. When my wife and I have conflict, it's because I'm proud and I don't want to admit that I was wrong. Or she's proud and she didn't want to admit that she was wrong. Or more likely, we're both proud and we both don't want to admit that either of us is wrong. Pride guarantees conflict at work, at church, at home, at school, on social media, wherever. Selfishness, we want things for ourselves. James 4, 11 and 12. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? The other source of conflict is judging others. Oh, this is so hard for us. All of us are guilty of judgmentalism. God says, don't judge people. It's so hard for us. Because if we do this, we are asking for a fight. You want to, fight, you want to lose all your friends and fight with all your friends? Start judging them about their parenting skills and bring it up. You'll have no friends. You'll have so much time on your hands, you won't believe it. Oh, yeah, people take that personally. We judge. We judge what they spend their money, what our, everybody spends their money on. We judge the way they relate to each other. We judge big and little things. You root for the Patriots? You know what I mean? We judge. We judge. <laughs> right back at me, I know. We're always finding fault. We definitely judge the other political party. Don't know how you can be a Christian and vote that way. So judgmental. Oh, I've got to be careful. All of us are judgmental. Why should we not judge? Number one, I'm not God. That's a, the number one reason I shouldn't judge. 
And when we judge somebody, we're playing God because he, there's only one judge, James says. Only one judge and lawgiver. That's God. Number two, only God knows all the facts. We don't know all the facts. That's what I've been telling you about this whole virus thing the whole time. There's only one person who knows God. Have we, have we got a clue yet that everybody doesn't know what's going on? It's okay that nobody knows. Nobody ever knows. Nobody ever knows the future, pandemic or no pandemic. God's the only one who knows. He's the only one who has the facts. And number three, I don't know motives, and you don't either. I can't tell you what's on somebody's heart. We judge. We think we know what's on their heart. But God says, no, I'm the one who knows their heart. So only God has the right to judge. He has all the facts. He knows every, everything. He knows the future, and he knows the motives. He sees our heart. He has the truth so he can be the judge. We are limited in our insight. So he says, Jerry, don't judge. Don't judge others. God says selfishness and judgmentalism cause conflict. We want to know why we have so much conflict in our lives. It's because we're selfish and because we're judgmental. I'm not beating us up about that. I'm with you. Let's rate ourselves on this one. <laughs> one to five. Just pick a number. Any number. Fourth characteristic of a mature person is whether that person is a peacemaker or a troublemaker. So how much of a peacemaker am I? God says judgmental people are immature. I'll say that again for emphasis nicely. God says judgmental people are immature. Number five. Last one, last faith, uh, section of James. <clears throat> a mature person is both patient and prayerful. Patient and prayerful. And these are connected together. Patient and prayerful. Connected together. God says that's a mark of a mature person. These are two key words in chapter 5. Patient is used four times. Prayerful is used seven times in James chapter 5. The mark of a mature person is that they are both patient and prayerful. They express an attitude. This, this helps express an attitude of dependence on God. Chapter 5, verse 7 to 9 and 11. Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring they eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. He keeps saying, be patient. He gives the illustration of a farmer. If anybody has patience, it's the farmers that have patience. They do a lot of waiting. They do a lot, a lot of waiting. They plant and wait. They wait. They assist the crops, They wait and they wait. They hope. They expect. There are no overnight crops. You realize that, right? When you go on Amazon and you hit send me some grub, they don't go plant that today and deliver it tomorrow. Okay, we know that. We are so used to everything getting here instantly. Some of you, you're hungry right now. You're already hitting something. And you know it's going to beat you home because Jerry's going to keep on talking. He says, be patient. He talks about this farmer. Patience is a mark of maturity. The only way we learn patience is by waiting. Now, when my children were little, they had to learn the difference between no and not yet. 
And for a long time, they thought not yet meant we were never going to do it. They didn't know. They thought it meant no. Romans, like, he's at that stage now. He's like, I want to go now. You know, he knows the word now. You know, I want to go to Nana's now. I want to go to Mimi's now. I want candy now. Right? And when you say not yet, it seems like no to a three-year-old. Some of us are still like that. Many times God says, not yet. And we're like, I want it now. You're like, not yet. And you're like, God, tell me no. God won't answer my prayer. And God didn't say no. He just said not yet. He's saying you've got to wait. You've got to develop maturity and grow. James 5, 16 to 18. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Pray, 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 pray. Verse 17. Elijah was a human, was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Look, if anyone understood patience, it was Elijah. Have I mentioned lately we should read our Bibles? Great story. Elijah was patient and prayerful. That is a mark of maturity. All right, let's rate ourselves on this one on a scale of one to five. How patient am I while I'm waiting for answered prayer? Give yourself a one, three, five. Okay, let's review the tests again. Test number one, how do you handle problems? Do you get uptight and negative, grumble, gripe, and complain, or are you positive under pressure? Test two, are you sensitive to other people? Are you concerned about their needs, their desires, their cares, their hurts? Or do you only see yourself? Do you only pray for yourself or are you praying for others? Test three, can you manage your mouth? Have you learned to put a muzzle on it? Sometimes it just not speak. Don't comment. Delete, delete, delete. When you have just a tidbit of juicy gossip, is it so tempting that you have to share it? Managing your mouth is a mark of maturity. Have you learned, like it says in Ephesians, that verse, let no corrupt communication, no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only that which builds up for the edification of others according to their needs. Test four, are you a troublemaker or a peacemaker? Do you have a tendency to stir things up? Do you have a hair-trigger temper? Something to tick you off quickly? Do you carry a grudge? Do you find yourself nursing bitterness or are you a peacemaker? Man, there's so many of these I can work on that I need to work on in my life. Test five, how long can you wait for an answer to prayer without giving up? Maybe God has every intention of giving it, but he's waiting to teach you maturity. So how did you rate? If you add up all those numbers, how close to that 25 you put down at the beginning of this? Did you put down 25? (laughs) I know this hasn't been an easy message, but it is a message that we need. Look, this isn't going to be an easy series, but it is a series that we need. If you want to move the needle on all five of these evaluations, be here for this series. Because James not only tells us kind of what the problem is, he gives us the practical how-to's To improve our score. Specifically, he teaches us how 
to mature and develop a faith that works. You said you want a faith that works. Because life isn't working all that well right now. Especially in today's circumstances. This isn't going to be an easy series, but it is a series that we need. And I want to encourage you to be here every single week or tune in every single week. Or go back and catch up every single week. Because I believe you can develop, we can develop a faith that works. I believe in you. I believe God wants you to grow in maturity. And if we do, my friends, that will change everything in our lives. Let's pray. I'm going to pray for a couple minutes. You bow your head. In this moment of quietness, before we, we close, let's, let's do a little personal evaluation. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It matters what God thinks about you. I can fool you and I can fool others. You can fool me and you can fool others. None of us can fool God. He knows exactly, exactly what's on our heart. So God says to you, how do you rate your maturity? Are you positive under pressure? Some of us need to pray, God, will you change my attitude? Will you change my attitude of griping to an attitude of gratefulness? Some of us need to pray, God, will you help me to handle the problems in life and not be so negative about them? Not let them get me down. Teach me to be positive under pressure. How about the second one? Are you sensitive to others? Some of us need to say, Lord, please forgive me. I've been insensitive to my spouse. I don't listen. I don't think they have anything to say. I'm so caught up in my own world. Some of us need to say, Lord, forgive me for being insensitive to my kids. How many realize they're just kids? And this is hard. How many quit expecting them to act mature when I don't even act mature all the time? How many be sensitive to their hurts and their needs and their problems? Some of you wives need to say to God, God, help me to be sensitive to my husband, the pressure he's under, the difficulties he's handling. How about this third one? Have you learned to master your mouth? Some of us need to say, God, I'm sorry. I've been a gossip. I've spread rumors. I've talked behind backs. I've shared things that were not positive. We're not to build up others, but to tear them down. Some of us need to pray, God, help me to not be so impulsive with my mouth or with my comments. Lord, I know you said if I can't control my mouth, my religion is worthless. Help me to watch my speech. Only speak which builds people up. How about the fourth one? Are you a peacemaker instead of a troublemaker? Maybe pray, God, you know I've got a temper. Everybody knows I've got a temper. And I ask you to help me with it. God, you know I've got pride in my life. Help me with that. Lord, you know how easy it is for me to judge other people. Help me to realize that that's going to cause conflict and stir up strife. Help me to realize that you're God and I'm not God. 
Help me to not play God. Help me to leave the judgment to you. How about the last one? Are you, are you patient and prayerful about life? Some of you have been waiting a long time for an answer, for a change, for, for a healing. Say, God, help me to grow in patience. Help me to develop my prayer life, to talk to you more, to show more dependence on you by, take, by talking to you about every area of my life. Make me a patient and prayerful person. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for the book of James, that it is so practical. It's a practical manual on Christian living, even if it is a little blunt. Thank you that it deals not just in theory, but in the areas that we all need to work on, the how-tos of our attitude and our actions and our words and our thoughts and our relationships. Father, help us to grow. Help us to mature. Help our faith to grow up. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray.